0: me invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, uh, it will be on the screen here. We're going to begin this morning by reading from verse 16, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. I'm in the New International Version, if you're looking it up digitally. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard, you will be handed over to the local councils. And be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes." That's the word of the Lord. May he help us understand it, apply it this morning. I was thinking I should be talking to Pastor Craig. I'm thinking we're probably going to need to revise our job descriptions for kids' own workers. I'm pretty sure that endure floggings is not in the job description yet. And we should probably fix that. I, I, I got to have a, a conversation with the pastoral team. I don't know if I'll get any resignations or not. Um, but, but you know when you start adding this kind of stuff into the job descriptions, although I did suggest it to Pastor Tim, and he said it's actually better than the working conditions promised to most musicians anyway. <laughs> so, so, th- so there you go. That's, but who signs up for this, right? Like, like who signs up for this? You read through this, this list of, of kind of warnings that Jesus is issuing. And we say, "Holy smokes Like like Jesus, is this is this really what we are to anticipate? Um, I, I I've been reading through these passages now over the last months and, and and this is one that that when you kind of bump into it, and, and honestly, I think sometimes it feels like that, does it not? You know, we live in a culture that really that, that values comfort and, and wants assurance and, uh, you know, just give me the good stuff. <clears throat> you bump into this passage, it actually reminds me of something that, that the gospel writer John uh, records in chapter 6, verse 60, because something happened there with the disciples. The, Jesus was teaching a different teaching, but he, in verse 60, we, we, we read this from John, on hearing it... Many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And from this time on, many disciples turned their backs and no longer followed Jesus. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. we, We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, Lord Jesus, as we grapple with what is really a hard teaching this morning, would you visit us that we would understand your word is to equip us, that the, the, the man and the woman of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work in you, Lord Jesus. So come and equip us, even with teaching that does not rest very comfortably on our ears. We ask in your beautiful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I mean, there's a sense in which we find ourselves in a passage like this on, a, on the horns of a dilemma. I mean, you, you can't, like, going forward seems really difficult, and yet I know too much to be able to retreat. Like, like who but Jesus has the words of eternal life? Kind of reminds me a little bit of that scene in uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, the, the, the the Fellowship of the Rings, the first of the three books, um, when Gandalf is leading the the, the company up over uh, the pass of Cadoras. It's a high mountain pass, it's heavy snow, but then Saruman, the evil w- wizard, starts attacking them with, I don't know, and avalanches and blizzards And finally they realize they can't get through that pass And so they're going to have to go down through the mines of Moria And only Gimli wants to go through the mines of Moria Nobody else wants to go there But but you can't, there's no going back there's no, So if that's too geeky for you um, Wednesday, I stepped out of the house uh, after dinner to come over to the church for, uh, to, to, to lead rehearsal for the Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, we rehearse at the church on Wednesday nights, and, and, and I step out of the door, and it's a blizzard, like this wasn't forecast, like it was crazy, and I start getting text messages and, and emails from some of the orchestra members, the ones in High River had started out and then turned around and gone back because it was just too crazy to, to get there, so I get to the church. Our oboe player comes in from Canmore. Like every week she drives in from Canmore. So she'd, le- she'd left at about like one in the afternoon when the weather was still reasonably decent. She gets to Calgary to do a bit of stuff. And what do you do? You can't, there's no going back. So of course she comes to rehearsal. Um, we, oftentimes we kind of get to this place. And if you were only reading this passage in Matthew, like if you just kind of plucked this one out, you might feel like, like I've been trapped. There's no going back. How do I, how do I get to a place like this? is, is Jesus somehow tricked me? Is is this, this isn't what I signed up for. But but, but we got to go back and remember the context. How did they get to this place in the conversation? And we go back to chapter 9, the end of it, and we read, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so this situation has arisen because of the compassion of Jesus. Because he has seen the circumstance in our world of those who are harassed and helpless, the lost sheep of Israel in this situation. And and Jesus calls his disciples, he calls the found sheep, The safe sheep, the eternally secure sheep, he calls them to pray. And they become the answer to their own prayers. And Jesus sent them into the fields in order to bring back a spiritual harvest. And so all of this is to say, how did they get to this place? They got to this place because Jesus led them there. Jesus has led them there. He's not surprised that they're, 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 they're going to be in a place where they would anticipate difficulty. I mean, the forecast may be stormy, the way may be treacherous, but Jesus is leading them. Jesus will promise to be with his disciples always to the very end of the age by the time we get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, as he sends them out. And we've already seen that Jesus is a getter done kind of leader. Like what he determines, he's been given all authority, and now he's commissioned his disciples to go, and he's given his disciples authority, and Jesus gets the job done. And he does so working through servants like you and me. He has the authority, he has commissioned his disciples. And he equips his disciples with the resources necessary for his kingdom to come, his will to be done. And all of the resources necessary for that to happen are available to us. That's what he will give us. So here's the big idea this morning. Jesus is leading us into his challenging assignments. But where Jesus leads, we can go. Would you say that with me? Where Jesus leads, we can go. Now, I've got a few questions about this passage. I suspect you do too. (laughs) So so I'm going to ask them in this way. What's about the sheep? Uh, What's about Jews and Gentiles? And and then what's about family and friends? These are all points of contention that Jesus raises. Uh, That's the outline that's in your bulletin. I'd encourage you to pull it out, make a few notes as we go along. Um, maybe discuss these things with your family over lunch or over dinner, or, or, or with your life group. You know, take a few minutes in your life group if you're not doing sermon-based curriculum, and, and have that conversation. What's about the sheep? What's about the Jews and the Gentiles? What's about family and friends? Let me begin with this observation: Your posture matters. Your posture matters. Jesus paints here a couple of powerful pictures for us to help us understand the necessary posture for us to endure as disciples, for us to stand. How, how do I stand? How do I move forward in the face of a difficult assignment? And he uses this image of, of sheep and wolves, doves and serpents. Sheep and wolves, doves and serpents. What's about the sheep? Well, so posture matters. I mean, who doesn't love a sheep, right? I mean, they have such adorable little faces, right? You know? I mean, they're such sweet creatures. You know, you run your hand through their wool, and it's like putting on hand lotion. The lanolin just comes off their wool. It's so beautiful, right? Like, they're such, such... and they're defenseless, like utterly defenseless animals. And so we've been associated with an animal that is, is dependent upon others, Dependent upon the shepherd, maybe the shepherd and his faithful dog, <laughs> but the shepherd in order, to, in order to keep us safe. Wolves, of course, are the classic predator in the pages of scripture, pages of, of literature. Scholar Grant Osborne, he argues that this is the model for the believer. The model for the believer, we are to go out as sheep among wolves, intentionally defenseless, Clearly vulnerable. Frederick Bruner, he, he explains it the way, the, in the following way. This portrait of sheep among wolves was to impress upon disciple missionaries, that's us, that they are vulnerable. His portrait of snakes is to teach them not to be stupidly vulnerable. Okay? So, so, so we're to be intentionally vulnerable. This is a posture of dependence upon the shepherd. But we're not to be stupidly vulnerable. So so our model is this posture of sheep among wolves, but the method of our moving forward is pictured in this this other sort of picture that is there. Uh, Osborne calls it shrewd innocence. Dove and serpent. The, The shrewdness of a serpent, the innocence represented by the dove, intentionally vulnerable and innocently shrewd. That word shrewd, like astute, prudent, Thoughtful, sensible, wise, careful. So how we move forward matters. Next Sunday, we're going to look and see that Jesus actually promises effectiveness through this posture. He's promising opposition, but he's also promising effectiveness. The gospel, the hope that, is, that Jesus brought to the world will be proclaimed from the rooftops, Jesus says in verse 27. But your boldness as you go needs to be managed by wisdom. How will I proceed wisely in order to have the greatest impact, the greatest effectiveness for the name of Jesus? Be bold, be courageous in speaking of your love for Jesus and his love for your friends and family, and be wise in when and how you do this. Now, now we're tracking instructions that Jesus was giving to the 12 as he was sending them out to the lost sheep of Israel, right? Maybe you detected, as we read this through, kind of a change in the In in the the focus of Jesus' words, uh, up to verse 17, everything's about the 12. It's about their assignment to the the harassed and helpless lost sheep of Israel. But then you get to verse 18, and Jesus begins to imagine something much broader. Like the language seems to kind of open up. And he begins to reference the mission to the Jews and the Gentiles beyond just the, the, the lost sheep of Israel. Now, how does he move from the towns and villages of Galilee and the lost sheep to to governors and kings, which he begins to reference in verses 17 through 20? Jesus said, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. So there's there's the broadening, right? Previously, he was talking about just go to the lost sheep, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. But it's like Jesus kind of lifts his eyes for a moment as he's commissioning them and looks down the corridors of time, and sees you and me, like he sees those who who after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus are going to go out in the early church and where they're going to go. He, he says here that when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be your speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And, and this is marking this this shift that as he begins to see more broadly, at least for these few verses. And these are the exact kind of things that we see in the account in the book of Acts, right? Like, like these instances took place. Peter and John go before the Sanhedrin, you know, and and, and they have these profound words to speak, and and, and Jesus preserves them and and navigates them through that the apostle paul goes before uh governor felix and, and king agrippa and he brings a powerful word he will eventually by the time the book of acts closes paul's in a house in rome waiting for an audience with caesar himself church history tells us it happened And so this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here, Uh, took place just even in that first century through the book of Acts, but it has continued to take place over the last 2,000 years as Jesus brings those whom he can speak through into places of power and influence in order that the gospel would be proclaimed, in order that the hope of Jesus would be declared to, to, to great and to small alike. But Jesus is leading us into and through even the most challenging of these assignments. And where Jesus leads us, say it with me, where Jesus leads us, we can go. Where Jesus leads us, we can go. But then this starts getting very, very personal, does it not? I mean, Jesus warns that speaking for Jesus, living for Jesus, following Jesus, may get in the way of some of the relationships in our lives. And so we run into, well, what's about family and friends? And I know some of you are living this. Some of you are living this. Like some of you can't go to a a family function without feeling like you're the odd man out. Like, you just know that you do not fit in. This is a weird sensation. Some of your family, they think you've lost your mind. They think that maybe you're foolish or simple or deluded. For some of you, it's more than a feeling. I mean, words have been spoken, right? You've been corrected. You've been rebuked. You've been minimized. Some of you have been muzzled. Don't talk about your faith around my kids. Uh, those would be my grandkids, right? This is painful stuff. And we say, well, well, Jesus, why does this have to get so personal? Because well, the pain is at least in, in, in two ways. Well, one is that no one likes to be criticized, especially by those you love, right? You, you want to be admired. You know, you, you want your life to be celebrated. You want your memory to be revered. You want them to speak well of you, and you want to have a positive and constructive influence in their lives. This is what we long for. There's a second way in which this is painful. When I came to believe in Jesus, when I turned to the Lord and was saved, I was saved from mortal peril. When you turn to Jesus and believed in him, and began living for him, you were saved from mortal peril. And as best we can tell, if they've not... Sorry, let me say this carefully. If they have not turned to Jesus, they continue in that mortal peril. And that, that breaks our hearts, right? Because we long that they would be in a saving relationship with Jesus, rather than choosing to atone for their own sin that they would turn to Jesus and allow him to atone for their sin and grant them rescue from the judgment that God must bring against sin. And yet Jesus warns, he says, "'Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved.'" If you came and began believing in Jesus because you heard some prosperity preacher promise you health, wealth, and prosperity, your faith may be in crisis right now, thank Jesus that he has introduced you to him. And then hear the words of Jesus and know because he wants us to be equipped and readied when difficulties come such that it would not undo our faith. It would not not leave us in a place of disillusionment, having believed he promised us something, when clearly the words of Jesus here are saying there's going to be difficulty in this. You, you You didn't sign up for a cruise ship. You signed up for a search and rescue vessel. Now, there will be some seasons of smooth sailing, and there will be great adventure in it. But we go into hostile waters in order to bring back those who are harassed and helpless. Jesus is warning us here. The mission is not going to be all upward and to the right. The coming hope of the kingdom of heaven will be opposed. And we know the author, we know the one behind that opposition too, And Matthew's going to introduce us to more of this opposition as we work our way through, because Jesus faced opposition. This warning is for your benefit, so that your faith won't be undone. You won't be surprised. Because some, according to John, when the teaching was difficult, they'd started down the road, but then they turned back. They'd fallen away. And Jesus longs that that would not be true of you and I. That we would continue down the road even when we face opposition, even when difficulty, even when we're ridiculed, even when our faith leads to seeming betrayals. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. But, but, but then look at this. It's, but we're called not to then kind of fight in this situation. You look at verse 23, and Jesus instructs, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Flee to another. Pick your battles. Not every hill is a hill that you should be dying on. And, And there may be some towns or households, we heard this from Jesus last week, there may be some towns or households where you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. There may be some family, there may be some friends that you're going to need to just leave that spiritual conversation in God's hands, where you're going to have to just back away from it because you just aren't gaining any ground. There's no receptivity there. We talked about that last week too, right? The household that you would enter would be the one where you could see that there was some receptivity there. Well, and it's not there, you have to back away and you have to, but we don't, we never stop praying. We never stop committing that situation to the Lord. I think one of the most strategic prayers that we can pray in that kind of situation is that God would bring reinforcements. That he'd bring a a friend who loves Jesus, a co-worker who would would be bold in their testimony, that would would stand with the testimony that you've already brought, the encouragements that you've already brought. And, And... Time and time again, God has been known to do end runs around those who are the most resilient to him. And we wait, and we watch, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray. Uh, Jesus, after looking up, kind of speaking prophetically in this way, looking down the corridors of time at the challenges the church would face in the coming years, he seems to then kind of come back to the 12 and this present assignment to the lost sheep of Israel. He says this, he says, "'You will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes.'" And we pause. That's a passage that scholars have kind of really attempted to grapple with here. He seems to be saying at least two things. One thing is that he's speaking to the disciples, the 12 that are in front of him, and he's effectively saying, keep at this lost sheep assignment for the next couple of years until the, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, the coming of the Son of Man, because it becomes clear what Jesus' assignment truly is about. Because then the assignment is actually going to broaden beyond just the lost sheep of Israel. It's going to broaden and include the gentiles at that point in time it's probable that he means that but but he's also referring to the bigger picture here as well you can't hear that language the coming of the son of man without envisioning his second coming without envisioning what's taking place uh, yet in our future that this going to the lost sheep of israel assignment will not be complete until the son of man until jesus comes the second time In other words, this is an ongoing mission assignment for all of Jesus' disciples. Now, now, now did you catch the word of hope that's present in there? Jesus will return. He is coming, and he will judge the, the living and the dead in his coming. And it will be that day of reckoning when justice will be served. And those who are in Christ, those who have confessed our sin before him and invited him to be atoned for our brokenness, for the corruption of our lives, rather than we atoning through somehow trying to do our good works and it doesn't work, that day will come and it will be an exciting day because all will be made right. And in his mercy, he's not come yet. Because there are more who need Jesus. More to be rescued. More search and rescue missions. uh, More going out into the dangerous assignments. Here and around the world. In order that the hope of Jesus would be known and embraced by as many as would embrace him. Now let me just issue a few kind of concluding encouragements here. How am I doing? Um. It's going to take me just a couple of minutes to wrap this up because there are just they're really significant impl- implications for us in this. The first would be, pray for our nation. Now, how did I get there? We live in an extraordinary era of history, in an extraordinary place where we enjoy marvelous freedoms of religion and freedoms of speech most of the time. Right, This is an amazing nation in which we live, and we are called, we're told to pray for our leaders. This is going to be an extraordinary year, 2019. May 31st, we'll go to the polls provincially and, and, and vote for our provincial governments. And then in, uh, in October, what's the date? Um, the 21st, the 43rd federal election will be hosted in our nation, and we will pray for our nation. Uh, As uh, we will vote for for our our, our leaders, pray about the process. Uh, Norman Janus Newman, where are you, Norman Jan? Just wave. There they are. Uh, Wednesday nights, they're hosting a prayer meeting specifically for the nation. Um, Maybe you're called to pray specifically about this. Vote. Get involved with the process. Exercise. We are in a democracy and we carry that responsibility. So purpose that you will uh, engage in the electoral process. Get to know the candidates. Who are these people? What do they represent? Uh, I, my encouragement is always vote character ahead of policy. Policy can always be changed, but vote for character. Look for the person who has integrity, who stands for something. Uh, maybe it's not all the things that you all the eyes the way you dot them, or all the t's the way you would cross them. But as best you can know them, get to know these people. What are their morals? What, what kind of convictions are they immovable on? And and then attempt to, to to vote in that direction. And then engage. Some of you, some of you may be in maybe wired, maybe you have the stomach, the constitution for politics, you know, and, and you need to get involved in some way. And then let us know that you're doing that so we can pray for you. It's going to be a bipartisan prayer, okay? I'm just going to be upfront about that. Uh, but, but, but we're going to pray for you and pray that God would do an extraordinary work in and through you as he calls, he calls believers into places of influence in order that the, the, the freedoms of our nation would be preserved so that we can go out. Now, if the day comes when the the freedoms of our nation are not preserved, it's because Jesus is leading us there. And where he leads us, we can go. But let's not take for granted the beautiful place that we've been given, the, 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 the launch pad for mission to our world that he's given us. Here's the second thing. Pray for the persecuted church. Pray for believers in in other parts of the world. The church internationally, by and large, does not know the freedom and the peace that we enjoy here. Pray for those who are persecuted. Remember the church. Here's a story from China. Five relatives were taken into custody after gathering outside a police station to ask about their loved ones on February 15th. Okay, what's that, a week ago? Two weeks ago? On December 9th, two months ago, Around 100 members of the Early Rain Covenant Church, located in the city of Chengdu, had been taken into custody. At last report, several were still imprisoned. Concerned about the condition of their detained loved ones and wanting more information, family members gathered outside the police station with their small children. As officers monitored them, one Christian heard the officers debating about whether to to arrest them. At around 8 p.m. that evening, four spouses along with a child from one of the families were taken into custody and accused of illegal gathering. That's a a, a report, I just got that uh, this past week, from Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, You can sign up for their weekly newsletter and just kind of be aware uh, on how to pray for the church around the world. Voice of the Martyrs Canada... Yeah, B-O-M, I don't know, you can Google it. Google, search it. Here's an account from Uzbekistan, that's a Muslim nation um, that's north of Iran and Afghanistan, kind of up in that part of uh, of Asia. A Christian mother in Uzbekistan was killed by her husband on February 9th. Okay, this is, you know, days ago. Uh, because she had recently accepted Christ. The attack happened in the Tashkent airport as she was attempting to flee the country. Problems for Umida not her real name, began when her husband discovered that she had asked a friend for a Bible. In addition to locking Umida in their home to prevent her from going to church, he also banned her from seeing their two-year-old son. Eventually, she was able to go live with her parents along with her, their daughter. While, still, while living there, Umida attended church for, but continued to face threats. In a final move to find safety, the threatened woman attempted to leave the country while at the airport she was confronted by her husband who ruthlessly slit her throat. Friends are asking for prayer on behalf of Umida's grieving parents as well as her distraught children. I, I don't mean to traumatize you, and, and, and I'm certainly not trying to inflict fear, but every now and then we need a little dose of we, we've got it awfully good here, and we need to remember that the majority of Christians are living in hostile waters. They have come to faith in Jesus because he is irrepressible. He is extraordinarily beautiful. extraordinarily beautiful, and, and, and there's an invitation for us to remember them and pray for them and to remember that where Jesus leads, we can go. Where Jesus leads us, we can go. And, and death is not the worst thing that can happen to us because we have an eternal hope. We stand strong. The worst thing that can happen to us, stand limp. Right? Right? Um, and, and An unprepared posture will betray you. You know, if, you, if you're thinking it's just going to be all flowers and tulips and, 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 and easy going, um, it's going to betray that expectation is going to betray you. So don't allow yourself to be surprised when living your faith out becomes difficult. We don't have to expect it. It's not always going to be happen. It's always going to happen. But when it does happen, when it does happen, know that Jesus is with you. Pray for the nation. Pray for persecuted believers. And then with that sort of word, ready yourself. Ready yourself. Get to know the one who saved you. The one who is leading you. Be able to hear his voice so that, so that you can respond. Know his love. Know his character. Know his compassion. The only way you can do that is by spending time in his word and time with his people. That's how we get to know his voice. That's how we, uh, we follow faithfully. What are you doing to equip yourself, to encourage yourself, that, that, to, to nurture uh, this faith that is there, to grow in Christ? Your life group is a great place to take another step. Daily scripture reading—you know—go to U Version and get on a reading plan and read scripture on a daily basis. Feed, speak to Him in prayer on a daily basis. We we gave you the prayer cards; they're in the bulletin again this week. The, bu- the um, bookmark. Um, talk to Jesus about some of the people that maybe came to mind as a, as we've been working through this passage this morning. When the day of testing comes. You will stand because you are following Jesus and we are looking to him. And Where Jesus leads us, we can go. Will you stand with me? I want to give the last word to the Apostle Peter as the worship team makes their way up. The Apostle uh, Peter writes, Finally, all of you be like-minded. This is First uh, Peter 3, verse 8. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you, to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, but he has put to death. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we long to be found in you strong. Sheep who are shrewd, smart, wise, watchful. We whom you saw in that moment of instruction, looking down the corridors of time, those who would believe in you and turn to you, And you would promise to be with us. What more could we ask, Lord? Where you lead us, we can go. Pray for those who are in a difficult place right now. For whom this text is particularly relevant, perhaps painful. Pray that your presence would be particularly extraordinary, powerful. Infuse us with your courage, your life, your wisdom, your words. We may speak or be silent according to your direction. And for your glory, Lord Jesus, we ask it in your name.